0: Well, good morning, church family. If you would, um, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Today we're going to be reading through verses 1 through 5. We're going to see how to apply them to our own lives as Christians. So uh, I'm going to give you a moment to flip there. It's also going to be on the screen. Uh, But if you would, please follow along. I'm going to read all the way through this passage one time so we can kind of get a, a sense for it. And then we're going to go back and unpack it together. So uh, it goes like this. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Would you bow with me? Father God, I thank you for this day. Um, pray for uh, travel mercies for those who are uh, actually on their way out right now, but also, Lord, for, uh, for the many folks who are traveling. And uh, also, just want to lift up, um, lift up Lucas and Tim and others who are concerned uh, just have health issues going on right now, just pray that you protect and watch over our church family uh, for those who are who are separated from us for a temporary um, time and God thank you for the opportunity to be here together today. I pray that we will take your word and soak in it and I pray Father, that it will give us strength to make it through the week because uh, father we are we are very tired I know I know a lot of us are exhausted and a lot of us are worn out from the heat um, God, but I know also that there are many struggles going on in the lives of so many people, Lord, and um, not just those that are here, but those that are watching online. I know many uh, who feel lonely, uh, many who feel trapped or discouraged. Uh, Some just feel downright disenfranchised. And Father, I just pray that you help us to remember that we belong to you. And despite whatever happens in this world, uh, we are your children. And we ask, God, that you give us that, that knowledge and that it follows us through the week and Lord, that, uh, that we preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We lift all this up in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so before we dig in to today's passage, and while the, the kids are finding the bingo pictures that are, that are hidden, they're not very well hidden this time, but uh, that's all right. Uh, it's been three weeks since we were in the book of Acts, and so uh, it might be good to recap the last chapter or so. Now, some of you guys, if you're following along with the, uh, the, the weekly readings that we've been doing, uh, there's a group of us that are on that that version app, you might have noticed yesterday was this passage and then the next 10 verses, but um, there's still, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has happened in the last chapter or two, and so if you recall, Paul and Barnabas had returned from their first missionary journey. Things were going well uh, until some guys came up from Jerusalem, and they began insisting that a man could not be a Christian unless he was a Jew first, which meant he had to be circumcised and he had to follow the law of Moses. And this was not at all what the apostles were teaching. And so Paul and Barnabas, they were obviously they were just opposed to it. And so they went to Jerusalem. They had a big council about it. It was actually the first major council in the church that we know of um, on that very issue. And so the leaders in the church, in the early church as a whole, they decided the Gentiles could be Christians without becoming Jews. And in fact, this was such a serious issue that Paul in one of his later epistles, he, he said... It is a violation of the gospel to claim that a person has to be circumcised and follow the law to be saved. And so the church council gave the Gentiles uh, some instructions, and, and they did this, there were some things that they were supposed to avoid for their own sake, but also for the sake of, uh, of the Jews that were their, their brethren, and they wanted to make some concessions to keep everybody kind of on the same page and keep everybody happy, so they told them to avoid some things, and then they sent this letter to Antioch. And uh, it was to spread the news of their decision. While they were there, though, Paul and Barnabas had kind of a falling out. You may remember this. They had a serious disagreement about whether or not to bring along John Mark. And uh, they parted ways. That wasn't a bad thing. It meant that now uh, there were two sets of missionaries that were spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world in two different directions. So uh, God worked that for the good. And that's pretty much where chapter 15 leaves off. And so right now we're in chapter 16. And our text today, I think, is really interesting in light of the previous chapter. And and among other things, it prompts discussion about when concessions are important for the sake of witness. You may know that the word compromise sometimes has a negative connotation, but it doesn't always have to. And that's something that that we need to, to discuss. We're going to get into that as we go. I want to introduce you to the theme of this message, which is a comparison of God's approval and man's approval how those two things relate to each other. So we should be on the next slide now. Oh, okay. All right. Um, the word is being used, when we say approval, we're using it in the sense of acceptance, affirmation, uh, and even, even taking pleasure in something. Okay? Um, obviously, a, a holy God and fallen man don't line up across the board on what is acceptable, on what is worthy of affirming and or pleasing. And so typically, a sermon that addresses these two factors is going to focus on the verses aspect of it. After all, there, there is a dichotomy that's easy to see for most Christians when we understand that a worldly perspective is going to be drastically different from a godly view on most things. And Scripture is clear. Jesus commands us to fear God rather than man. James tells us that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. And Paul expresses the disconnect plainly when he says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? He says, if I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So there's there's definitely a reason to consider the approval of God and the approval of man to be two separate spheres of approval. And for that reason, let's begin by contrasting the two. How do God's approval and man's approval? How do they differ? Now, probably one of the most uh, important ways, at least to me, is that God's approval is not capricious. Now, if you don't know what capricious means, it, it means uh, God's approval doesn't change on a whim. God's not fickle. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Good, okay. If you are a born-again Christian, despite all of your flaws, all your failures, you don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder, does God still love me today? Okay? 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. Romans 8:1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and scripture repeatedly says, God's love never fails. The Hebrew word chesed is often translated loving kindness. And over and over, we're told in the Psalms and elsewhere that, that God's loving kindness is everlasting, that it never fails. And I want to be sure that everyone, everyone in this room, but also everybody that's listening or watching online, you need to understand this very basic biblical truth. If you are truly a Christian, meaning that you've received God's Holy Spirit upon having re- repentant faith in Christ, you are adopted into his family as his child. Okay, And you have God's approval. Full stop. You need to understand that. He's not a man that he should change his mind. God is not arbitrary. He doesn't, he doesn't change the criteria for sonship, you know, like just right in the middle of our lives or even somewhere else down the line. He doesn't say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it this now instead of that. His approval is not based on our imperfect performance, but instead it's based on the perfect life and death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's because of who Jesus is and what God did through Him, He accepts all of us who come to Him in faith as His children. Now contrast this with man's approval, which is capricious. I mean, people can Turn on a dime, can't they? Can't they? You're going you're gonna to wake up. It's going to happen. I'm gonna... Some of the same people who cheered when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey's colt on Palm Sunday were probably shouting, crucify, on Good Friday. You know, just a couple chapters ago in Acts, Paul is this people that are trying to venerate him as a god One moment, and he's trying to convince them not to, and then shortly thereafter, they're stoning him. You know, human approval, man's approval, is based on emotion, as well as the current zeitgeist, you know, the the spirit of the age, so to speak. And here's a for instance, okay? The number of children, this is a study that was done in the United Kingdom, the number of children who claim to be transgender and the United Kingdom increased approximately 4,000% between 2009 and 2018. Less than a decade. 4,000%. That means where there was once one in X number, now there's 40 in X number who claim to be transgender. It's become a new way to rebel in today's society, to, to claim to be Transgender makes some kids feel cool or interesting, and it's sad, not not just because it's a violation of God's created order, which it is, okay, but also because people are that easily confused or that easily misled without the Holy Spirit to guide us. You know, there's currently a, a movement in the United States of America today that's gaining momentum to normalize, I don't want to say the word, but most of y'all know what I'm talking about. And that's, that's something that was considered vile and heinous by a majority of Christians. Even, even, even non-Christians would have considered this thing disgusting and, 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 and vile. And yet today, it's starting to get traction in our fickle-hearted world. Which, by the way, leads us to our next Distinction, which is that God's approval is is based on God's values. God's approval is based in His values, and God's values, listen, because this is important and it's not in your notes, but you need to know this, you need to remember this. God's values are rooted in God's character. Everything that God demands of us is something that God Himself exhibits. Since the Lord cannot tolerate sin, His approval requires absolute perfection. Do you know that? His, His approval. God approves only of absolute perfection, and that would be utterly horrifying and utterly hopeless for all of us, because we're all sinners were it not for the incredible fact that God chose to send His Son in the likeness of sinful man to die in our place. And more than that, to stand in our place. I mean, I think think most Christians understand probably because we hear it all the time that that Jesus hung in our place, right? Having suffered and and died on the cross to pay for our sins. But do we also realize that he now stands in our place, interceding for us as as, as the perfect example, the perfect life that God requires in order that we might be in his presence. He requires that of us. You know that. The absolute perfection and righteousness of Christ is imputed to us by faith, and that is the sole factor by which we receive god 's approval and I hope you understand that god 's approval is only on Jesus; he cannot accept us apart from jesus most most other religions in the world um, you guys know i 've had a, a, a cool ongoing conversation with my Muslim neighbor across the street. Um, they believe that there's some kind of a sliding scale of justice, right? And your, your good deeds, if they outweigh your bad deeds, then that's good enough. You know, they believe God will accept them. This is wrong, okay? Earning God's favor is not possible by our actions. We can't do it. These other faiths can't grasp that, and so, so they view the cross as foolishness. They view it as a defeat. In fact, Islam states that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, that He ascended from there. Such a a basic, important belief that Christ died. They don't have the atonement. They view it as something that couldn't happen to Christ. The Scripture tells us the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Scripture tells us that the weakness of God is stronger than men. We we may want to earn God's favor, but it can't be done. Instead, He gives it to us freely on the basis of faith. God's approval is free to us. Christ paid the cost, but it's free on the basis of faith, and that's grace. God's unearnable approval is grace. You've probably heard before, grace is unmerited favor. I like that, that uh, statement. It can't be earned. But man's approval is based on man's values. It doesn't, it doesn't take much to earn man's approval sometimes. you know. In fact, most people say nowadays that just being true to yourself is the highest level of virtue. <laughs> no. That is false. Seeing as how we're all sinful people, being true to ourselves usually takes us in the opposite direction of being true to our Heavenly Father. But that's what the world teaches us. It says, you believe and do what you want to do, and as long as it doesn't interfere with me believing and doing what I want to do, then we're cool. And it's it's like a broken Beatles record, you know, claiming all you need is love, but in practice, it's really more like live and let die. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's not, and those of you that are over 50, you get that reference. Those of you that aren't, tough, okay? Um, and I'm not over 50. I just want to say that, but I do get that message. Uh, but, but it's, it's true. Man, man is not the measure of all things, right? You've heard that statement, though, that man is the measure of all things. Clearly, we're not. We sure think we are. You know, we sure think that our morality is high as it gets. I hear so many people that won't receive Christ, they won't accept what the gospel teaches because they can't believe that God isn't as moral as they are because they have the wrong morals. They want to have love without justice. Thinking that we are the measure of all things really is perfectly natural in the most literal sense of that word because our nature is such that we want to be God, but we're not. So we'll keep trying to determine what is worthy of approval with a standard that's constantly changing because we don't want to base it in in the unchanging values of an unchanging God. We want to base it on what we see around us. Man's values won't align with God's unless the Holy Spirit opens his eyes. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they are foolishness to him. And he is not able, listen, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We wonder sometimes, why can't can't that person just get it? Their eyes haven't been opened. So to summarize, the approval of God and the approval of man are very different in quality, okay? So uh, let's go back to verse 1. <laughs> We're going to start on our scripture now. Um, Paul came also to Derby and to, I don't know if that's Lystra or Lystra. I said it both ways last time. Maybe it's Lystra. Who knows? But anyway, there was a disciple that was there. His name was Timothy. You recognize that? Recognize Timothy? Whole books written. Thank you. Whole books of the Bible, written epistles, written to Timothy. Okay? Um, Paul wrote two of his epistles to him. Anyway, so Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Why do you think it mentions Timothy's parents? No one knows. I think that there are a couple of reasons. What's that? Wait. Okay, because half Jewish, right? Oh, wow. Wow, what? What? One was a believer and one was not. That's true. We're going to get into that. I think that was true anyway. Yes. What would you say? That's actually the other way, typically. Jewishness was carried from the man's side, as far as I know. I may have to look into that. You might be right. Check, yeah, check it while you're... (laughs) He did not have a typical Jewish family. Somehow, his mom, who was Jewish, married into a family of Greeks. So his father was not a Jew. And so, uh, and we'll get into that in just a minute. I, I want to come back to the manuscript so I don't get too far off the subject. But I think there's a couple of reasons. First, the fact that his father was a Greek rather than his father being Jewish explains why Timothy was still uncircumcised. Okay? But also, Luke specified that his mother was a Christian. But his silence on the father's behalf indicates he most likely was not. Okay, so Timothy, Timothy, we learn later was raised by, um, he, he was raised in the Lord by his mother and his grandmother. Their names are Lois and Eunice. I can't remember which is which, but he had two very strong women of God in his life that helped to raise him. Even though his father was not a Christian, most likely, and I think that's an interesting commentary on what Paul wrote in another one of his letters. He said, when a believing spouse, this is also 1 Corinthians, I believe, when a believing spouse stays with an unbelieving spouse, it has a potential to sanctify both the unbelieving spouse and the children. Your children would be unclean, he says, but as it is, they are holy. I think that's a very powerful statement. And it's encouraging to believers who somehow end up unequally yoked. Don't give up on your spouse. And certainly don't give up on your children. God will use you in their lives as as an example of holiness. But anyway, back to Timothy. He was well spoken of, it says, by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Wait. Are you saying that Timothy had man's approval? (laughs) Wait a second. I thought, that was, I thought God's approval and man's approval were necessarily mutually exclusive. Not necessarily. So um, let's, let's read a few scriptures right quick, okay? This is from the book of Luke chapter 2. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Well, that's the Lord himself. In the book of Acts, we read of the apostles that none of the rest, that means the non-church Christians, you know, the non-believers, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And then even later, in one of his epistles, Paul wrote that elders, meaning church leaders, it says, must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace in a snare of the devil. That's referring to pride. So, so you say, hold up, you know, that, that's not even talking about Other Christians, like the brothers that respected Timothy. Outsiders means those outside of the faith. So does that mean it's not necessarily wrong to have the approval of man? Yes, that's precisely what it means. If you're striving to live according to God's values, there is going to be some overlap. Okay, In other words, these two spheres are not entirely separate. And I would argue that part of the reason that Paul wanted to bring Timothy along was that he already knew Timothy had a good reputation. Anyway, we're going to keep reading. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. What? What? As Shrek would say, hold the phone, you know? I mean, I look back and go, how does this even make sense based on what they just, just had a whole council about in the previous chapter? Paul circumcised him? I mean, didn't we just have the first official church council you know, in this very issue, wasn't it determined Gentiles don't have to be circumcised; they don't have to to follow the law of Moses. In fact, wasn't that the that very argument, the reason that Paul made a rather PG thirteen compliment or a comment in Galatians five? He says, "But I, brothers, if I still pre- uh, preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves." Those are harsh words. And forgive me for those of you that have young people, they're going to have these questions later. But listen, let's be clear here, okay? Paul is referring to Judaizers who were claiming that circumcision was necessary for salvation. But this is the same Paul, the same apostle who wrote far more gently in his letter to the Romans. The kingdom of God, he says, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So here's the thing. We're talking about the difference between good compromise and bad compromise. Okay? Paul was not willing to concede even an inch of ground when it came to the message of the gospel. But he had no problem at all with doing what was necessary to connect with people as long as it didn't compromise the integrity of the good news. And this is a good example of seeking that overlap between the approval of God and the approval of man that we looked at earlier. However, take a good look at this red outline here, okay? Do you see the red outline? Okay, thank you. (laughs) Because, friends, it must be noted that the overlap is only safe because that overlap falls within the parameters of what God considers acceptable. And we'll come back to this so, so, as we get near the end. But for now, just understand, Paul circumcising Timothy was not negating everything that they'd worked toward. He wasn't being a hypocrite, okay? This was, was not a compromise in the message of the gospel, but it was a compromise in the method of evangelism. And what I mean is, is Paul knew that these non-believing Jews that he and Timothy were going to be witnessing to, he knew that they simply would not respond to a Gentile. And they all knew Timothy's father was a Greek. So to Paul, the credibility of their witness was more important than Timothy's right to forego circumcision. Now that says something about how serious Paul was, but even more than that, to me it showed how willing Timothy was to do whatever was necessary To remove any barriers from the preaching of the gospel. How far are we willing to go, church? I want you to think about that. I am so thankful to be in a church where we don't have the worship wars. You know what I mean? And where we don't argue about the color of the carpet. In fact, what we did was the elders said, let's let the ladies pick it. That's the best way to go. (laughs) And guess what? They picked, and here it is. It looks nice. So, you know, it, it, it's silly. To, there are things that get argued about and fought over, and, and, it's, and it, it puts up barriers between people. We need to tear down whatever barriers are preventing us from, from holding the gospel in common. This does not mean that we compromise on the gospel, ever. For it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. First for the Jew, and then for the what? What? Gentile. What would we sacrifice for the sake of someone else's willingness to hear us? Which of our rights might we have to lay down in order to take up our cross? Just think about it. Let's keep reading. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that have been reached by the apostles and elders who are in Jerusalem. What's he referring to? This is that stuff from chapter 15, right? The the decision that Gentile Christians must abstain from blood and bloody meat and from animals that have been strangled and uh, and from the meat of animals that was sacrificed to, to idols, right? And then he says, from any form of sexual immorality. But also that Gentiles did not have to become Jewish to be Christians. That was the main thrust of this message. You know, Abstain from these things, but you don't have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Why? Because God's approval of a person does not rely on their ability to keep the law. What does approval rely on? Jesus. And how do we appropriate that? Through faith. God's approval relies on faith. Remember, it it is entirely on the basis of faith that a person is justified before God because it 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 is by faith that a person receives the righteousness of Christ. We discussed that earlier, right? It's the only way to be righteous in God's sight. That is how a sinner is justified. There's a glorious passage on faith in the book of Hebrews, and, and it's got a great definition you're familiar with. You know, faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, but, but later on in the chapter, it, it gives a whole bunch of examples. But perhaps the most important thing in that whole section are these eight words without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's impossible without faith, to please God. Listen, it's, it's not a matter of how good a person thinks he is. You know, it's not about being a better human than that guy over there. You know, I mean, you, you remember the Luke 18, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's not what it's about. It, it, the question is, do you have faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God? That's the question. If you do, there ought to be evidence but the first piece of evidence isn't some grand gesture it's not a complete reversal of behavior you know it's not it's not that christmas morning on the christmas carol you know with scrooge that that's not the first thing that you should see the first thing that you should see the first evidence of salvation is totally trusting christ for your salvation and, and for It's recognizing that God must accept you as Jesus is in order to accept you at all. And then believing, here's key, that he does. Believing he does accept you as Jesus is. Believing he's not looking at you and saying, sorry, your sins are still, nope. Like that old cheesy song, what sin, you know? It's as far away as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. He accepts you as Jesus is because Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for your sins and for mine. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. Say that with me. We are forgiven. Say it and mean it. We are forgiven. That's like something we should rejoice about. One more time. We are forgiven. Think about that. God doesn't look at you and see your your mess ups. He looks at you and he sees Jesus. God has given us His Spirit. That is, uh, the Bible says that's our guarantee of His promise. We've received His stamp of approval, which is necessary in order for us to be saved. So make no mistake, listen, apart, apart from God's mercy, we would be, I would be, just as hell-bound as the most obstinate devil. We must have His mercy. Our salvation is by grace and it requires faith. The Apostle Peter tells us, that the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Heaven is real, and hell is real. It's not just a metaphor. There really is an afterlife. Real places, and the determining factor for the future eternity of each man and woman is whether or not we have the blood of Christ applied to us by grace through faith. Is that clear enough? Okay, let's finish up. Luke says, so, in other words, as, as a result of them passing on the decision at Jerusalem, um, the churches were strengthened in the faith. And so, so, so what we're seeing here is the positive side of another truth, which is that man's approval relies on works. And here's what I mean by a positive side of this. Uh, people aren't God, Right? People aren't God, and so we don't see a person's heart. We can only only listen to their words, and we can only observe their deeds. And so in this way, the the approval of God and the approval of man differs. But when when a person has integrity and faithfulness and generosity and kindness and, and all these godly characteristics, even worldly people will normally see it. They'll recognize it. And they'll respond with approval. And that's because of God's image in people. Even those who don't believe in him can recognize good most of the time or much of the time. And that, this, this is what falls into that, that red section of overlap in the diagram that we were looking at earlier. You know, even non-believers have a sense of right and wrong. They, they can't be adequately explained by natural means. I don't know if you've ever tried to have that conversation with an atheist where they try to explain why some things are right and wrong. And it, it's, it, it just keeps coming. It's circular logic. It, it's, there's, n- there's nothing that makes sense about why we have morals that are universally agreeable to people, whether they believe in God or not. There's nothing that makes sense except that there is someone who wrote the rules. I lost my place. Give me a second. In context, too, uh, we see that this, in this passage, we see that the churches were strengthened as a result of the work of Paul and Silas, and now, now Timothy as well. And frankly, God uses the actions of Christians to strengthen other Christians, right? I mean, do you, do you see this in your own life? Do you see that when you are following Christ, people are benefiting by your example and vice versa? I hope that you are. You know, when a, when a person... Uh, comes and, and they're bringing good news and the, the gospel is certainly good news. Then seeing the gospel lived as well as hearing it preached is the best kind of witness. And the results speak for themselves. And they, that that's the body of believers, increased in numbers daily. Meaning what? Meaning non-believers are becoming followers of Christ as a result of of seeing and hearing the gospel. And these were apparently, you know, apparently they were legitimate conversions because the Holy Spirit was at work, sure, but not in a, not in a vacuum. You know, we talked about this a while back. It's, it's, it's like we saw just a minute ago. They heard the truth. They heard the gospel from these evangelists while observing the fruit of the gospel in their lives. And that, that's the final point. As much as it is unnecessary for our salvation, man's approval is important to our witness. We should do what we can within the sphere of God's approval to be acceptable to other people. If we're we're always and only telling the truth, that's awesome, but if we're being jerks about it, it's not going to be as effective. Speaking to people in a disdainful or arrogant manner rarely results in winning someone over to your side. But you know what's attractive to people when you're sharing a really hard truth? Humility. Humility is so incredibly attractive. And it's strange because we live in a world where pride is celebrated, where arrogance is is exonerated. But when people see people that are doing what Christ would do and being quiet about it, being gracious about it. It draws them. I mean, think about it. How humble was it for Timothy to submit to circumcision? He didn't have to. He chose to. He let Paul do that in order to prevent being a stumbling block for unbelieving Jews. (laughs) Guys, that that is humility. Humility. You know, being willing to set aside your own prerogative for the sake of reaching a person that might otherwise ignore you, that's humility. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 9 that's sometimes pulled out of context, but it really fits the situation. I want you to quickly take a look with me. Paul says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, he's meaning Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. you ever heard that last part before? People talk about being all things to all men. Of course, in context, Paul knows Jesus is the one that really saves, but, but he means reaching lost people. That, that was part of his mission. That's part of Crossroads' mission. You know that, right? i have asked you to memorize those ten words. Love God, love others, serve the least, reach the lost. It's part of our mission. So man's approval in some ways is important to our witness, but, and, and be sure to hear this. Only insofar as it's within God's sphere of approval. To approve of sin, you are know, thinking that you're being tolerant, that is incredibly dangerous to our witness. You know, Romans one thirty-two. Paul writes... Uh, he says that there are those who know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things, and there's this big list. If you want to go check it out, look, go look it up grievous sins, sexual deviancy, deviancy, and all this. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Friends, do not be deceived. Don't be fooled, don't be tricked, because remember, the approval of man can be a good thing and an important thing whenever it overlaps the sphere of God's approval. But trying to win the approval of man by by living or especially by preaching something outside of God's sphere of approval, that is deadly. That is spiritually lethal. Don't get those things confused. For for your sake and for the sake of those that you're hoping to win, don't try to convert someone over to a watered-down version of the faith. Live and share the true message, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that wonderful message that God loves us so much that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life, that by His grace we're saved through faith that were washed in His blood because of His perfect life and death and resurrection. That's this message. We must not lose it. We must not misplace it. We must not pretend that, that there's some other message that's more valuable. That's it. That's the one. It's about who Jesus is and what God did. So let's live it, y'all. And let's preach it. Yeah, I said, y'all. I heard that. Let's live it. Let's preach it. You got a chance this morning, if if the Lord is calling you, um, I'll look look around. Most of the folks here, I'm pretty sure of, you know, where you're at in your faith uh, to some extent. um, But if there's anybody this morning that, you know, you realize, hey, I've never really professed my faith in Christ and been baptized by immersion as the Word teaches, Do it today. Don't be scared. You know, I mean, just do it. The Lord is calling you. He's been calling you for a long time. And if you've already done that, and maybe you say, you know what? I like this church. I like these people. I want to be a part of this body. We're here for that. We we would love for you to join the church. If you want to just ask for prayer, if you're like, look, my life's falling apart right now, and I need some prayers. We don't care if you're a member of the church or not about that. Just come on up. We'll pray for you. We will come and and, and lay hands on you and pray if you'd like that. If you don't want that, we can take you off from the side in the office and pray in there. It's whatever. But don't miss the chance to do what God calls you to do today. Okay, I'm done.